continue our study uh, in our time of worship uh, in the sermon, the message being delivered to you that precedes then your life group study, uh, our Bible studies for life on 1 John. We've been in a six-week study. This is number five on uh, uh, no doubt, six things that we can know. We've talked about being sure of our forgiveness of our sins, being sure of our relationship uh, with God through Christ. We've talked about claiming the absolute truth. We can know the absolute truth, and that's found in Jesus Christ. And then that's what we talked about, claiming our victory over doubt, and we can know without any doubt about our relationship with God and who he is. And today and next week, we'll be going to finishing up that study in 1 John, and we're going to be uh, looking at what John says to us in chapters 4 and 5 about love and how we should then emulate the love of God uh, and Christ in our life towards others. It's a very important thing that he talks about. You know, he talked about this test that he kept talking about, about to know whether you're in Christ or not, that you, you, you confess Christ as Lord and Savior, and that you love the brethren, and that you obey the commandments of God. And so John comes to really hammer down in these last two chapters in 1 John about love, and, and about why he talks about love, and about how we should show that love as believers and followers after him. Look with me at your scripture for today in 1 John chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 7 through 12. The words should be on the screen. You might have your Bible or Bible app, however you choose to do that. But it's important we hear the word of God for today. Out of the NIV, John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Different since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's the uh, church historian, one of what we call the early church fathers by the name of Jerome, who tells us that when the Apostle John was advanced in his age, extremely old age, he was so weak that he had to be carried into the church meetings. And then at the end of the meeting, he would be helped to his feet to give a word of exhortation uh, to the church gathered for that day's worship. And Jerome is one who says invariably, John would always say, little children, let us love one another. And he would repeat it every Sunday, every time that they brought him in and then they helped him to his feet to speak. He said the same thing, little children, let us love one another. Well, you can imagine, the disciples began to grow a little bit weary about hearing the same words every time. And so they finally asked him, why, why do you always emphasize love? Little children, let us love one another. And here's what the apostle John said. He said, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if this only is done, it is enough. 
If this only is done, it is enough. I doubt if they ever ask him again, why do you emphasize love so much? But when we look at our scripture for today, and next week when we look at chapter 5 in 1 John, I think we will see why John emphasizes love over and over and over. He repeats that imperative for us to love one another because it is the foundation of our relationship with God, his relationship with us, and then our relationship with one another. Powerful words that John speaks to us today, even giving us a definition about God. And the reason that he writes so powerfully and, and so profoundly about love is because he wants us to make sure that we understand that love is not an optional virtue for followers of Jesus Christ, but love is to be the distinguishing work of the church in this world. And when we love the way that God loves us, then we show God to the world. He even goes so far as to say in verse 8 of chapter 4, did you catch that? That if you do not love others, you do not know God. He said, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And you also notice that John says that while love is the inevitable result of being born again, it's not always an automatic result. Look in verse 7. He says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Well, the implication is that the life of God imparted to us in this new birth that we experience then manifests itself in love for others. See, if, if, if we are children of the one whose nature is love, and that's God, then we will be like our Father. And at the same time, John commands in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. It's not automatic or effortless. There's always room for growth in our response to others by showing the love of God. That's why John, when he was brought into the church house for those meetings on Sundays, and when he was helped to stand to his feet, would say, little children, let us love one another. Little children, let us love one another. Because it is the essence of our relationship with God. So in a a capsule, here is the challenge from the Apostle John today about love. We must love one another because God is love and he showed his love for us by sending Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins. There are several different words in the Greek language for love. One denotes family love. Another denotes friendly love. A a third one is that of, of eros, physical, romantic love. But John doesn't use any of those three words when he talks about the kind of love that we are to show to the world and that we're to have towards one another. He uses the word agape that I'm sure most of you have heard about before. You're familiar with that word agape. It is a self-sacrificing love. I read somewhere many years ago and it stuck with me that that this this is love in spite of. We love others in spite of their failures and their shortcomings and even the things that they have said and done to us that are wrong. And you think about it, that's the way that God loved us in that agape love. He loved us in spite of our sin. 
He loved us in spite of our rebellion against him. So when he tells us to love the way that God loves us, he's telling us to love with that agape love in actions of self-sacrifice. And when we do that, we know that we are affirming that that's the way that God loved us and that's the way he wants us to love others. Now, when we break this scripture down for today, I think we see three motivations that John gives to us for having victory by assuming and assuring ourselves that we have a love relationship with God. And as I've titled the message today, living out love, living out that love. So here are the three motivations. Number one, we should love because God's nature is love. You and I as children of God, we should love because God's nature is love. Look at verses seven and eight. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. I notice three things that John tells us. Number one, love comes from God. Love comes to us from God. Only people who have been reborn by the grace of God can love the way that God loves. We tend to think that love is natural. Attraction is natural. But the love of God is supernatural. We are attracted to and we are kind and loving to those that we find to be most like us in life, right? And we love because of what we receive from them or what we hope to receive from them. But we have to understand that God's love goes deeper than that. It goes beyond the surface. It does not allow us to pick and choose those whom we will love. We are called to love. We are called to love. We are called to love. Because God's love goes beyond the surface. Love comes from God. It's anchored in the value of the individual as seen through the eyes of God. You see, that's so important. That's very critical. If we're going to learn to love each other the way that God loved us, we have to learn to see the value of each individual through the eyes of God. It's the Apostle Paul who describes this agape love in action in 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter, verses 4 through 7. For he tells us there, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We learn to love that way only as we grow more like God through Christ. And then notice that John says God is love. Make sure you get that in the correct order. God is love. 
He does not say that love is God. See, we should not define God by our definition of love, but we should define love by the character and nature of God. You see, real love is holy, just, and perfect because God is. And then John says a third thing. He says, those born of God will love others. See, there's an analogy that follows here. If God is love, then God the Son is love. And if God the Son is love, then God the Holy Spirit is love. And if we are born of God and we are God's children, then we will love also. Now we tend to spend time around people whose attitudes shapes us in life. We adopt the attitude of people around us. If we spend time with negative people, what happens? We tend to take on their negative character. If we spend time around positive and encouraging people, then we, be, we become positive and we become encouraging. So John's argument is pretty simple in it. He simply says, if God's spirit truly lives in us, his character and his attitude should influence us so that we reflect the love that God has for us. If we do not reflect that love, then John says, this is a powerful statement, but John says, if we don't reflect that love of God, then we really do not belong to God. So he tells us that we should love as God loves because that's God's nature. God is love. That's the first motivation. The second motivation for loving the way that God loves is that we should love because of God's love expressed in Jesus Christ. See, our first motivation for love is the character and nature of God. And that's how we are born again. That's what we receive when we are born new by God. The second motivation for love is the love we have received from Jesus. Look at verses 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now those are strong words, aren't they? <laughs> They're strong words about love, and they come from the apostle of love, but he mentions no words, right? He doesn't hold anything back. He tells us how we're supposed to love. The way that God loves us. You see, God loved us before we cared anything about him. And God showed his love in a very powerful and sacrificial way. He gave up for us what was most precious to him. So that he could save us from our lostness. 
And what was that which was most precious to him? His son. He gave us his son. He gave us his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. When John's readers back then in first century Christianity would hear that, out of their Jewish background, they understand completely what Jesus was, what John was saying about love and how it related to Christ and how God showed his love for us in Jesus. Because God gave his son to die. And John says, as an atoning sacrifice. And they would immediately know that John was making reference back to the day of atonement in the Old Testament, the highest of all the days. And two goats would be brought into the temple by the high priest. The first goat would be killed and the blood of that goat would be spread on the altar for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. That blood would be spread as payment for the sins of the people so that God might be justified. But then the priest would take the second goat, place his hands upon the head of that goat as if transferring the sins of the people to that goat. And then that goat would be taken and led out and let loose into the wilderness as a token and as an illustration of that, that our sin had been taken away and set upon that animal and sent out into the wilderness. But we know that all of those sacrifices made all the way through the Old Testament and even on the Day of Atonement were completely inadequate because it wasn't, even the sun didn't go down before the people of Israel would sin again. And another sacrifice would need to be made. But it would be made as an atoning sacrifice to appease the wrath of a holy God. But since all those animal sacrifices were insufficient, then God loved us with his love to give up what was most precious to him so that he could save us from our lostness. God sent his son to be that final atoning sacrifice. You see, Jesus was sent to give his life on our behalf. And he gave his life to satisfy the demands of a just, holy, and righteous God. Jesus became that atoning sacrifice to make mercy possible for all of us. His life was of such value that it paid for the past and the future sin of all who would come to God in faith through him. See, God sent Jesus to take our penalty for sin by dying a horrible death in our place. God gave his son to die for sinners. Now think about that. God, who is holy and righteous and perfect in every way, gave up his son, who also is holy and righteous and perfect in every way to die upon the cross of Calvary so that we lost in our sin everything but 
holy, righteous, and perfect in the sight of God. And God sent his son to die on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for us. In Romans 5, 8, we read these words, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You never understand the love of God until you know yourself. You can't understand grace until you understand the nature of sin. You'll never understand the wonder of this atoning sacrifice until you grasp the horror of what needed to be atoned for, and that is our sin. And once we grasp the horror of our sin, we should be overwhelmed by the depth of God's love for us. Not only to be stunned by his grace, but we will also then want to love, serve, and honor him for the rest of our lives. When we really understand God's love for us, we will be transformed. And we will find our motivation for loving. And then the third motivation then that John gives us for loving this way is that we should love because we show God's love to the world. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now that's a profound statement in the midst of all the things that are said about love. That's a profound statement. Listen to it again. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's why John would stand before his congregation with the help of others and say, little children, let us love one another. Little children, let us love one another. Little children, let us love one another. In doing so, John is challenging us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ to show God to people around us as we love the way that God loves. And I remind you that that is agape love and it is a self-sacrificial love. It is love in spite of the failures, disappointments, and sin of those around us because that's the way that God loved us. When people see how we love each other, then they see an example of the agape love of God. I read this week about an amazing story that came out of the Korean War. A young communist officer ordered the execution of a Christian civilian, but when he learned that that prisoner was in charge of an orphanage and how much good he was doing, he decided to spare his life. But he would kill the 19-year-old son of that man instead, and so he did, right before the eyes of the man who read the orphanage. Well, in a few years, the tide of that war turned, and America well, obviously was going to win that war, and this young communist officer then became a prisoner of war. He was tried for war crimes, and he was sentenced to be executed. 
But here's where love comes into play. That Christian man who ran the orphanage, whose son was brutally murdered right before him, stood and said, yes, this man deserves to die for his sins. But he said, I'm going to ask that you not do that, but that you give him to me. Let him live with me, and I will teach him about the Savior. They granted his request. That father took the murderer of his son into his own home. And as a result of that self-sacrificing love, that young communist man not only became a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, but he also became a pastor to the glory of God. Now hopefully none of us will ever face any kind of situation like that that calls for us to forgive and love like that. We think, yeah, that would be magnanimous to do that. And yet think about the petty little differences that come up and little bickering and little things that happen in a life group, you know, or, or somewhere outside even the bounds of church. Something that happens at school, something that happens at work. And we're supposed to be believers. We're supposed to be people who love the way that God loves and show the love of God. And think about how difficult it is for us to forgive and to love like that. Oh, we think this is an ideal story. Man, that'd be powerful. I would love to be able to do that. Well, you've got to learn to forgive those closest to you first. You've got to learn to love those closest to you first with the agape love of God. That's difficult, but that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. See, John is often referred to as the beloved disciple or the apostle of love, and he is the only gospel writer who caught and captured these words of Jesus that he records in John 13 34 through 35 a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another you see I think John took those words of Christ and he paraphrased them when he said we must love one another so that the world will see the love of God when we love one another. And that's a paraphrase. Well, isn't that a profound motivation for showing the love of God? That it's a new commandment. The old commandment was you love those who are closest to you and who love you. And Jesus says the new commandment I give to you is that you love one another as I have loved you. And how did he do that? But that agape love, that self-sacrificing love. And he says, then by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What a motivating factor that is. So, when we love one another, we show the nature and character of God. When we love one another, we show God's love in Christ. The mercy and the grace and the forgiveness, all that's bound up. And the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then when we love one another, we show the love of God to the world around us. One of the most influential theologians of the 20th century was a German scholar by the name of Karl Barth. I never heard of him until I got to seminary, but I read about his life as a, pro a pro profound life. Um, he uh, he, he, he uh, explored the interaction between faith 
and culture. I, almost a, a practical theologian, and that's almost a contradiction in terms, but he opposed Hitler when that time arose and uh, refused to sign an oath of loyalty and interesting, I guess, the providence of God, instead of being put in, a, in one of the Nazi concentration camps, he was deported to Switzerland. After the war and, and then following that, uh, he became well known for his writing, his theological beliefs. In 1962, he was touring the United States, and one night after a lecture in Chicago, he was just relaxing and, uh, with the congregation, the audience, and answering questions that they might have for him. And one person stood and said, Dr. Boy, in your opinion, what is the essence of the Christian faith. And while Dr. Barth pondered for a few moments, everybody thought he was going to come out with some profound theological statement. And instead he said, I can summarize the Christian faith in these words. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, it's that simple song that most of us learned as children. But you know, sometimes simple is better, isn't it? We all can understand that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And because Jesus loves us, we're to love him and we're to love others. Because in doing so, we show the love of God through Christ. So I challenge you today, if you've never accepted, never embraced God's atoning sacrifice for your sins, in Jesus Christ, that you would do so today. That you would acknowledge your sin. Ask God to forgive you of your sin. And you would confess Christ as your Savior, the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And then for all of us who know Jesus Christ as our atoning sacrifice and have experienced the love of God in redemption, then let us love one another for love is of God. Heavenly Father, we bow before you knowing that you are indeed love. Your word tells us that, that you, God, are love. And we come before you today knowing that you are our loving Heavenly Father, and in your love for us, you sent your only Son, that which was most precious to you, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Father, I pray today that we would grasp the significance of this love that you have for us and that we would embrace that love and your mercy and your grace displayed on the cross of Calvary and that then as we know your love for us we would be those who show that mercy and grace to the world around us that we would love the way that you love us and by doing so we would show your love to the world around us that's lost and needs to know of the love of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray and call for decision.